You're listening to My Rapids Real Estate Show on WFHR, that's AM 1320, and now 97.5 FM. We're bringing you real estate news for Wisconsin Rapids, Nakusa, and all of central Wisconsin. Welcome back. I'm Ben. And I'm Carrie Nikolai. And we are with Coldwell Banker Seward Realtors here in Wisconsin Rapids. Yes. What an exciting day. It is. Um, there's a lot of excitement going on like in the housing market everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is looking for a really interesting 2022, that is for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, earlier we talked about what's going on in the local real estate market. Again, it's been trending the same for a couple of months here, you know, as we go through and what's active on the market, what's available, you know, what people can kind of expect. Mm-hmm. We see outside that springtime is where we're on the cusp. We're coming to it. Right. Um, now, fully well, knowing that it's Wisconsin and there might be three feet of snow in a week, you just don't know. We never know. I think people's. Uh, mental state is starting to be we're sick of winter again. Cabin fever is, you know, pushing us outside. Let's get things ready to sell our house, Mm -hmm. which is good. And you talked about here in our local region, if you're putting your house up for sale, you're not going to have a lot of competition in the market. Right. So good time to sell. Now, buyers are frustrated with, you know, this, really, really high demand. We've seen that. We've heard about that. And it's that way all across the country. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I like to do is, you know, kind of figure out why things happen and or, you know, maybe not exact reasons, but let's give some generalities and sort of help navigate, make sense of what's going on. Okay. Um, So the story goes, and, and before I get into this, Please understand that I'm not certified or licensed, whatever, as an economist or with the stock market, stock trading. So I'm not going to be giving like advice and don't take anything as that I say is being, you know, market advice for trading stocks and all that jazz. I'm just, you know, kind of, I've been thinking about what's been going on in real estate and how economics pushed certain trends, you know, cause and effect sort of things. Okay. The story goes, so when you got into real estate in 2017, mm-hmm. um, sat down with JR and he looked at us and said, Carrie's doing real estate. This takes, you know, a certain family dynamic because real estate is not a nine to five endeavor. Nope. Our customers and clients, you know, we need us after those hours, you know, so it's not a standardized traditional family dynamic that needs to happen. And, you know, you've got showings on the weekends and, you know, after hours, seven, eight o'clock at night, which is when our clients look at stuff. Right. Um, and he goes, so are, are you prepared to work this dynamic with her or let her, you know, do you understand what's going on? And I'm like, oh yeah, we've done hospitality for quite a long time. This is normal. Um, but then I also started looking at how can I be supportive? And one of the ways is to look at, um, the background of stuff. And I, I like the numbers. I like the economics. I really like to know why things happen. I think that's why I've done so good with like mechanical things and diagnostics, problem solving. Okay. The really, really interesting part is that we saw this seller's market really kick into effect, you know, 2015, 2016, ramping up into 2018, 2019. And if you remember, uh, end of 2019, you know, we were even publishing a, a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, kind of reporting on what had happened statistically in the previous months. Right. Uh, it's nice that we're doing that sort of now vocally with the podcast here. <clears throat> Just not as many fun pictures and bar graphs because, you know, I like graphs. You do like your bar graphs. Charts and graphs. I, I, I visualize things like that. And I think people can 
understand these big picture things easier with, you know, some graphs. Right. So 2019, things were going fairly smoothly because I, I came on board as your assistant in 2019 in January. And we, we were working out our, our dynamic and who does what stuff good and all the office dynamics through that. Um, and one of the trends I started seeing international trends come in or being talked about more at least in the end of 2019 with international buyers buying up property or holding property here in the U.S. but then selling it off toward the end of 2019. Right. Um, that was a fairly large worry, especially from the Asian countries because they had, especially over on the West Coast, a lot of money tied up here in our real estate market. Um, so it kind of, that, that was interesting. We also saw in 2019 a change to some of our uh, prefabricated forms and FERPTA. FERPTA came, came out in 2019. Right. And, and just basically what is kind of FERPTA? FERPTA is going to be proving that you are a U.S. citizen. So if you, you're a Canadian and you're selling your parents' house, you know, we, we need to know that you are an American citizen. Right. So it, there's, there's a lot of, when we talk with sellers, we bring up FERFTA. We just ask, you know, this is what it is. It's talking about making sure that U.S. citizens are paying their, their portion of taxes. What they found out was if you were Canadian or, you know, a non-U.S. citizen, that that government also then needed to get their cut of taxes yet to on top of it. And that's what was missing. That little tiny piece was missing. And so it may not affect our area. But like you said, California sure. has a lot of investors, foreign investors, which is perfectly fine. Um, but when they were selling, they weren't paying that country's sales tax. And so who's getting stuck with the tax? It fell on to the buyer. And so now the buyer is paying extra money after the fact just because the sellers didn't have um, all of their documents in order and it fell through the cracks. Now you right. have a lot of pissed off buyers who are stuck with this extra amount of, you know, outlay that they weren't expecting. Right. So the international climate really, you know, I started kind of getting curious about that and how it was international stuff affecting us here at home in Wisconsin. Right. And it kind of does. Things like that, you know, very simple, you know, covering um, those bases. Usually it's um, as a practical step, that stuff is usually taken care of by the title companies. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have those people looking back at the records and making sure that it's it's actually able to be sold and there's no liens on you know, and foreign status, those types of things. So we as realtors don't work with that in depth. We need to know that it is something and kind of what it is to help coach our clients. Mm -hmm. Right. So international, international. Com comes into play. Yep. Then as we go through in 2020, we had a pandemic. And all the research that I had been doing about trends and, you know, what happened with the housing market in 2008 and 1990 and 1970s, um, the pandemic just screwed all that up. Yes. So everything we knew about real estate kind of went out the window. And new stuff came in. Right. And what a roller coaster that has been. Mm-hmm. Um, so some good news here at the beginning of March, you know, CDC guidelines are easing up. Um, and actually, many of the countries around the world are easing up on mask mandates and um, looking at, you know, how is SARS affecting the world and their populations. Um, in 2020, with the pandemic, that was really the first time that everybody in the country stopped at the same time or the economy had the same effect outside effect happened to it at the same time. Okay. Um, we've talked a little bit and I've mentioned again and again, how especially central Wisconsin, this rural part of Wisconsin 
is a bit insulated from the national economy with those types of trends. Um, you, you can look at, at everything. Uh, heck, let's just start with price escalation. Okay, so last two or three years, double-digit housing prices yeah, and escalating. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, percentages of price escalation in, in housing. And some parts of the country, it's been like 30% increases. We haven't seen that much here because it, it, we're in a more rural environment. Right? We're not a big metro environment. We don't have a huge amount of tourism or outside international influences. Mm-hmm. So location, location, location is coming back into play. Neat. So now we can kind of look at what's happening in the world here recently in the last week or so. Um, I definitely want to say uh, the Eastern European countries, you know, the the Baltics and the Slavics, uh, Ukraine and Russia, all that jazz, our hearts go out to them. Yes, it does. Um, I don't really delve into politics here at the podcast because you've got plenty of other outlets to delve into that. But my goodness, the people of those countries, you know, it's, it's not something I think the people on the ground in the houses really want any of this conflict. Mm-hmm. But that's always been um, kind of a, a conflicted area, the, uh, the eastern side of Europe. We always hear it popping in and out. Uh, 2014 with Crimea, you know, that was a big to-do, mm-hmm. and, and rightfully so. Um, we have no idea why Putin's doing what he's doing, but it's being done. Right. So now the world is being able to focus on something other than the pandemic situation. Okay. And it happens to be a conventional ground war. <clears throat> and And like I said... Uh, wanting to talk about sort of this world stage. Um, it might sound a little bit cold and analytical, but I'm not trying to downplay all of the e- emotions that are with it too. That's certainly valid, but that's for another time. Okay. Okay. So that sets the stage. Yes, it does. Sets the stage. So we've got news from the National Association of Realtors. Okay. Some, some other people who are economists are putting out reports, and um, I'm trying to follow it so we can make sense of how things flow in and out. Right. Uh, we're, we're looking, unfortunately, at a lot of fourth quarter numbers from last year. Um, again, nationwide, CoreLogic is reporting that in December, the inflation or the price increase was about 18.8% across the nation for housing prices, which was about the same pace as November. Okay. Okay. Um, The economists from Realtor.com are saying context is everything because there are some parts of the country that are only 6%, Mm -hmm. some parts that are 30. A lot of the um, interest rates are also really affecting this portion. Okay, so interest rates were low in December. But now here looking at January and February, the mortgage interest rates are increasing. Okay. One of the things to look at is how these are all intertwined but still affecting each other. The mortgage interest rates are affected by the stock market, especially if you look at you know the numbers with the Fed and how the federal interest rates are being managed as well. If we go back to the pandemic, what had happened was we told everybody that you got to stop. You got to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. The government's going to help subsidize some of that because the government was the one that told you to stop. Okay. What happened then is the government influxed a whole lot of money into the country, you know, trillions of dollars, this type of thing. And the hope was we would cause a little bit of inflation, but that little bit of inflation would be okay because we were pushing money right to the people. And so they would continue to buy things. Mm -hmm. 
even though you know their jobs may have suffered a little bit. It was very much an external thing. It was nothing that was brought on by bad practices in the economy. You know, 2008 was a big thing with that. So this was a huge external motivator for that. So okay. 21, this last year came through and more money had been put into the, to the American economy. Inflation is increasing by quite a bit now. Um, we haven't seen this high of inflation. It's gotten up to almost about 1970s levels. Now, what happened in the 70s? We had oil embargoes. You know, we had the, all the energy crisis stuff. All of that is a little bit looming again here now. So energy plays a part in this because we're all connected by oil now. Okay. Okay. It, this gets slightly confusing. We're going to try to keep on track I was with say, the inflation. We're, we're, yeah, we're going somewhere. Okay. So inflation caused by a pandemic has always been hoped and considered to be temporary inflation so that things didn't crash by telling people you had to stay home and take care of yourself. Some people are thinking a couple weeks ago, this temporary inflation is now becoming a more permanent situation that needs to be rectified um, aggressively. Okay. So that's why here in 2022, everyone's saying the Fed is indicating maybe up to nine rate increases throughout the year, about a quarter, okay. quarter of a percent each. Okay. So when the Fed increases federal, style interest rates that affects the stock market that affects a lot of the other things that are pushing toward mortgage rates as well consumers are still demanding housing mm -hmm. right we have tons of buyers looking to buy houses we do so supply and demand is also that fourth part of the equation now with the war going on over in eastern europe that's causing a huge shift in how economy is moving through. And of course, a huge shift in what the stock market is doing because the stock market, and basically, is driven by emotion. Okay. You either have happiness and excitement that something happened, or you have fear and doom that something had happened. Okay. okay. So the fear is. That with Russia doing their shenanigans, also U Ukraine now is just not working. As no one's really making production in Ukraine, it's now driven to a war effort to protect themselves. Follow a lot of the commodities that are going through that. The biggest one is being oil. Mm -hmm. okay. We can look at the stock market. The price of oil is doubling. Here, I mean, we could get up to $150 a barrel. Usually it's in like the $45 a barrel. Now, the reason oil is substantial in Europe is because a lot of Europe is fed oil through Ukraine from Russia. They were doing um, a pipeline that's going through uh, the, the water. I forget what the name of it is, but going north. So that like Germany and Poland can get more direct access from Russia. Okay. But then Russia is also exporting oil to other parts of the world. Okay. So now with the sanctions that are going on with Russia, a lot of Europe and a lot of uh, most of the rest of the, the modern world, you know, NATO countries especially, are saying, hold on, Russia, we don't want anything to do with your stuff. We don't want to play with your aircraft. So all of the flights and, and stuff, uh, international flights or flights over Europe have been diverted around Ukraine because it's like a no-fly zone. Okay. You don't want bombers and stuff coming in on top of 747 passenger carriers. Very true. So with that being squelched, the rest of the world buys a lot of stuff from Russia. A lot of the rest of the world sells stuff to Russia as well. So that's causing fear and panic a little bit in the stock market. It'd be interesting the next week or so to see just what the stocks are actually doing. Um, they haven't crashed here in America like we thought might happen if the war actually broke out. Mm -hmm. But now oil in Europe is being squelched 
from the Russia side, they're not taking any more Russia oil. Where is the oil going to come from? It's going to come from the U.S. Because the United States is not only the leading consumer of oil in the world, we're also the leading producer. So we have to essentially feed back into Europe and our allies what they've been canceled from Russia. That's going to put a burden on U.S. oil and where are we going to get more oil from us? Um, perhaps Saudi Arabia, you know, the Arabic countries. Presidential State of the Union was last night, and he said he's going to be releasing um, some reserves from our national oil reserve, which is pretty cool. Um, the thing is, when we start exporting so much more oil than what we're producing, because we have to feed our partners, now we have inflation here in the States. You know, look at the gas pump. Mm -hmm. Putting gas in your truck is just going to continue to go up if we didn't do something. Um, so what was considered that temporary inflation from the pandemic transitioning to a permanent inflation because nothing else was happening. Well, now we've got this other external factor, the, the Eastern Europe debacle, saying, well, now the Fed has to react differently with running rates differently as well. Okay. So now people are speculating and looking at the remainder of 2022 to be not as aggressive with rates rising as we thought they would be. With the feds not being as aggressive with raising the rates, I mean, they're still going to have to raise because we still have inflation. The only thing to really push down inflation is to raise rates. Raising rates reduces consumer spending, mm -hmm. which reduces demand. And so everything else can push back and we can level off again. Okay. okay. The downside is housing is still in big demand and we don't have the supply to supply it. That's why, you know, every time you talk with the real estate agent, it's always, we're looking for homes to sell. Now is a great time to sell. Prices are still going to go up because demand is still going to be there. It might be slightly harder because interest rates are going to rise and mortgage rates are going to follow that a little bit. Right. Um, some people were saying mortgage interest rates were just going to skyrocket this year. But now that's kind of been squelched. You know? Okay, yep. We're, we're still going to feel a little bit of headwind, but we're not going to see such skyrocketing interest rates as what we thought. So kind of uh, thanks to the Ukrainian situation for not really throwing us that out of whack. Well, that's good. Yeah. So the other part is, and why I started the story with a little bit of the history, is now we can look here at our housing market and our economy and the United States and be slightly disassociated from what's going on over in Europe. You know, we personally don't have so much skin in the game. It's the Ukrainians fighting, you know, off fighting off the Russians themselves. Yes, we, we do have an interest in, you know, keeping their sovereignty of a country. So, because if Russia pushes into Ukraine, now Russia borders NATO countries, who knows what that's going to go. Right. Now we talk about fear and stock market does weird things. Right. So instead we stock we talk about happiness and the stock market does better things. So the history then is now coming back into play because we're disassociated a little bit and now we can really start to see what is the housing market going to do? What are the Fed rates going to do because of we've got this external factor of the war in Ukraine? I've been also kind of looking a little bit at, you know, statistics with Ukraine to sort of bring um, how important that part of Eastern Europe is into play. So some really cool facts. Okay. Compared to the United States, Ukraine is about the size of Texas. Yes. Okay. It's one of the biggest land masses in Europe. Now, we, well, one of the things that we like to do when we talk about wine is what are the good wine regions in the world? Mm -hmm. And you can poke your finger right on Wisconsin and spin the globe, and it spins through 
France and Germany and Ukraine as well. Oh, okay. And Ukraine is that and a little bit south. So they've got the same sort of fertility in their, their soils as we do in our agriculture, you know, like flyover states in the center of our country. And they do. They produce a lot of the world's, and especially Europe's, food. So the thing is, Ukraine being one of the bigger land masses, they've only got 43 million, roughly, people. Okay. Texas has 28 or 29 million. So again, Texas has got just a few, you know, big clusters in the north and northeast portion. Um, there's a lot of land between towns in Texas. Right. So if you ever been through Texas, you know, kind of think that's, that's a lot of the feeling of Ukraine as well. There's very clustered portions. There's a lot of rivers. It's, it's a very good agricultural environment. So if Ukraine gets taken over, now it's under Russia control. Russia is going to start controlling those exports. That's again, going to impact the economy over there. Mm -hmm. Who's going to make up for it? The other large exporters in the world, which is China, the U.S., and Mexico. Um, some over in Africa as well. So you see the dynamics start to shift a little bit. Right. <clears throat> now, compared to the, some other European countries as far as population, Ukraine has 43 million-ish. Spain has about 47 million people. Okay. Italy has about 60 million people. France has about 68 million people. So Ukraine has a lot of land with not a whole lot of people compared to some of the other smaller countries. I mean, Italy. It, Italy's got a lot of great production, you know, uh, 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 cheeses, milks. Oils. Oils, right. Probably some vinegar, too. And they've got a lot of people in a landmass that's quite a bit smaller than Ukraine. So that's, that's interesting. Um, defense budgets. Okay, so how well are the, uh, the Ukrainians able to spend money in their defense of their country? Uh, compared to Russia and the U.S. is kind of interesting. And that's why we see pleas from Vladimir Zelensky, you know, especially saying, hey, we, we, we're good as far as our ground forces. We've got good quality troops on the ground. We're mustering, you know, militias, and we're going to fight that ground war effectively. But we need other help because they only spend about $4 billion in their military defense. Okay. Russia spends $45 billion. Huge difference. The U.S. spends about $800 billion. Very large difference. Right. Um, and I've taken those right from the U.S. government's website. So who knows if they're accurate, but it's an interesting comparison. It is. Um, the U.S. Trade Office is saying that the uh, Ukrainian imports to the U.S. a lot of iron and steel as well. So they've got mining operations that are important. A lot of textiles, uh, preserved food. Agriculture is big, a lot of snack foods, and also dairy. Okay. And I, I found that being from Wisconsin, hearing that we import dairy from Eastern Europe is, is kind of astonishing. But I guess, you know, we need the rest of the country to be fed too. So cheese and, and dairy, you know, it can't all just come from Wisconsin and California. Right. So. Um, some other big news kind of to go along with the, uh, the follow the oil trend, um, business insider posted that Russia is potentially building natural gas pipelines to China now. So one of the things that are happening with the sanctions causing Russian finances to crumble. I mean, this last week, their stock market hasn't even been trading. It's been closed. 
their banks have been taken off of the international SWIFT system, which is um, money transfer systems. Okay. So they're isolating their finances as well. Uh, again, the presidential State of the Union said that <laughs> it's kind of astonishing. This is like the first time that it's ever been really announced on a public stage that they were going to go after the Russian oligarchs and actually seize property from them. Okay. So, so all right, wow, he's really putting a foot out there. <clears throat> it's like, we're going to come to your door and take your yacht back and sell it on eBay or something. I don't know. But seizing assets is, is interesting. Um, so Russia is really starting to hurt financially and economically. The ruble... Okay, so their their yep. currency, um, it used to be maybe fifty rubles to a dollar. Now it's more like a hundred and fifty, two hundred rubles to a dollar, and that just happened in the last five six days. Oh wow! Okay, but at the same time, again, you know, looking toward the stock market, what's happened is Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies have inflated just as much as the ruble has deflated. So what are the Russians doing? Obviously, they're pushing their finances into these alternative currencies, you know, crypto and things like that, which is interesting because now we get away from the traditional money aspect and the, they're, they're going to have to move funding somewhere or else they're just going to go broke. They're going right. to be, you know, worthless. So creating this natural gas pipeline to China, they got to get money somehow. So th this is, again interesting to keep an eye on and then how is that going to affect the oil and gas production for the rest of the world mm -hmm. oh my goodness so yeah like i said biden's looking at taking out from our strategic reserves 16 million barrels of oil doesn't sound like much but it kind of sounds like a lot i mean that's a lot of barrels of oil you you think right 50 gallon drums of oil okay the u.s consumes 20 million barrels of oil a day okay we produce about 18 million barrels of oil a day which is the numbers don't quite add up but that's also um it's not just gasoline and fuel oil type stuff or diesel it's production of plastics and textiles and things that use oil in their production okay right now we um, at least up to last week, we were importing quite a bit of oil from Eastern Europe and Russia ourselves as well. The uh, top producers of oil in the world, um, the U.S., like I said, we're about 20 million barrels a day. Saudi Arabia is at 10.8 million barrels of oil. Russia, <clears throat> excuse me, Russia is, <coughs> Russia is about the same. Excuse me. <laughs> been looking down got to think my throat i can see why you're uh standing so russia is about the same 10.5 10.8 canada is the next about 5.23 so five and a quarter million a day china is a little bit lower than that they produce about 4.8 million barrels a day and Iraq produces about 4.16 a day. Um, and this is right from the EIA.gov website. Okay. So kind of easy to go ahead and <clears throat> verify. The U.S. Per, uh, uses the most. Um, China is the next biggest user at 14 million barrels a day. India is about 5 million. Japan consumes about 3.7 million. Russia only consumes about 3.7 million as well. Okay. So you think all of Russia, they only consume 3.7 million barrels a day, which is the same as Japan. <clears throat> Japan is a lot smaller. Right. right. They have a lot more people. They do a lot more um, micro-industrial things just because they don't have the room for the major industrial stuff. Um, Russia's export are focused more on big things, obviously gas and oil, but also steel as well. You know, there's, since the, the Soviet Union collapsed, breaking off that eastern part of Europe with 
Ukraine and the, those Baltic states. That's where a lot of the agriculture really came from to support Russia. So now they don't have to use as much to you know, transport trucks and textile factories, that type of thing. So kind of neat. Russia and Japan are about the same use. And Saudi Arabia is about the same as well, 3.18. So, interesting. Yeah. I thought it was quite, quite interesting. And this other part is how just so much that the world is connected through this. Well, you always hear, you know, mostly, you know, the, the shortage of this, that and everything. You know, we, we had it from COVID from, you know, that country is no longer producing it because... COVID is very strong in that and they need to heal and get better. And so we've, we watched the supply chain of, well, you want to buy those kitchen cabinets, you order them now and you hope in six months you can get them. Right. Because most of the time we hear a lot of, oh, it's made in China, it's made in China and we should be buying American support local, that sort of thing. But it's kind of interesting to see that some of our stuff is actually coming from the, the Ukraine or some of those smaller countries that are being affected by this. So I want to recap a little bit because that got a little bit confusing. I know it was quite long. Okay. So a lot of the economy is driven by oil. And so now we have a little bit better understanding of where the oil is coming from and oil use here in the States affects inflation. We, we can see that directly by gas prices at the pump. But that's also transportation costs, which trickles into everything else that we purchase. Mm-hmm. Okay. Housing is just in as high a demand as it has been in the last two years. The Fed, the, the federal government, they're looking at increasing rates throughout this year. It's just a question of how much and when. And then that's going to trickle over into mortgage rates as well. Right. So higher mortgage rates means that money is harder to get for mortgages and people to buy the house. Um, And that might be a tactic that's going to happen is increasing rates increases, you know, the the mortgage rates as well, which should push back on the demand for housing, allowing more people to sell their house and those houses stay on the market a little bit longer. Okay. More supply. Okay. The other thing that's going to drive down demand is inflation overall because you can't afford the same monthly mortgage payment if you're paying so much more for gas and food and all the other necessities of life. Right. Um, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen with the, the wage increases, you know, more people get back to work again and fill the jobs that were um, downturned by COVID. So we're about back even again, you know, again, State of the Union address. It was heralded as a, a good job creation year last year, which I think a lot of those were just filling the gaps from what collapsed during the pandemic. So getting more people back to work, wages are increasing. So that's, again, helping with the, you know, overall market because now people have more money still in their pockets. Right. So we're going to have to look at all this as we balance out through the rest of 2020. But now we've got some more traditional inputs into the housing market. Okay. What was thrown on with the pandemic affected everybody all at once. And it was really kind of weird because we've never had that happen in 100 years. So now we're back to the what happens overall in the economy affects the international, affects our nation, and then eventually it'll affect us here in central Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so this is going to start allowing us to get kind of a heads up because we can see what happens in the big metro areas first. And because we're insulated here in our adorable rural area, we can see it come into us a little bit later and hopefully there's going to be that that buffer again and not just something that cuts the knife and affects everybody all at the same time okay but we are we are resilient and this housing market's going to you know stabilize as we've seen and 
those are the kind of external factors that are helping to stabilize it and push demand down a little bit more. Okay. Bottom line, it's a really good time to sell, and it's going to continue to be a good time to sell your home as we go throughout the year. Excellent. Um, so the last big word is recession, and a lot of people are talking there's going to be a recession. There has to be a recession because inflation is just so high. Now, there's two types of recession. There's a technical recession, and that focuses on our, our exports and gross domestic product domestic product, our GDP. And that's a whole another can of worms to get into. But a technical recession is just that those numbers don't align and our GDP has fallen for two quarters in a row. And it could just be a, a slight fall. But once it's fallen under that, then it's considered a recession. The recession that everybody's really worried about, you know, that word has fear with it and so that again affects the stock market but a recession similar to what happened in 2008 and in the 90s and again in the 70s those were all huge recessions that really screwed up with people's ability to work um, the difference between a recession happening like that and what we saw with the pandemic was the pandemic was everything was just fine on Monday, but on Tuesday, you were told, don't go to work, we have to stop. Right. So at least with a full-on recession coming in, we can forecast it a little bit. We can see the traditional indicators that would lead to, hey, a recession is definitely coming and it's going to be a deep and hard recession. Don't know. Don't know. Especially timing-wise, because with what's going on in Eastern Europe, creating more of a need for our exports. Okay. That could be a good thing that staves off that hard, fast recession. So I guess good news is brought from hardships over in, over in the uh, Eastern Europe portion. Okay. And we'll be keeping track on this throughout the coming year. Excellent. Sounds good. I have another good bit of news. Oh, all right. Okay. Let's, let's hit it up on it. So also reported from uh, Altos, it's a financing service that the National Association of Realtors provided. Okay. The um, number of home buyers compared to population has increased. This um, it, these were numbers from December, and so we now have some of the highest numbers ever of population being homeowners. Mm -hmm. So it increased this last year, almost a percent and a half. So now we've, uh, looks like the number is 65 and a half percent of our population actually being home buyers, homeowners. So that's, that's very good. That really, you know, really confirms that the Amer American dream is being fulfilled. Right. People have seen that renting might not be in their best interest. And we've talked about that you know it makes a lot more financial sense usually to own a home and get the equity versus just renting right yep so there is a lot of good news that's that's coming up here in this year excellent do we have any stage styled or blocked yes we can talk about okay some of that real quick um this week happens to be a Another one of your favorites. It's seven kitchen transformations to inspire your next project. Ooh, excellent. Okay. Let's see, this one is by Audra Slinky. Let's see, the first one is Dated Tuscan does a total transformation. Okay. So we've seen the, this before picture. It's the quote modern Tuscany. Right, the deep kind of oak, the golden oak and the nice matching kind of sandy tile flooring with the lovely granite, dark granite to kind of bring everything all together. Right, and the stucco surround and over the... Yep, the arches. Oh my goodness. Gotta have the arches. Right. So this is an illustration that you can take those dark colors and take that Tuscany feel or your, your dated cabinetry 
And really with the quick change of countertop, repainting some of the cabinets, especially the lower cabinets, mm-hmm. the dark colors of the stucco can be transformed into white, light creams even. Right. You know, and really create more of a, a bright, inviting kitchen that's warm and friendly instead of uh, dark and dated. Right. Uh, did they change the tile? I don't think they did. Nope. I think the tile stayed. It just looks lighter right. in the picture. They don't show a beforehand picture of the uh, the chandelier, but it looks like the chandelier may have been, been changed out yep. with something more updated. It's really just those quick updates, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we can help with that too if that's part of those renovation projects that you're looking that you think you, you might need in order to sell the house. Well, kitchens and bathrooms are always going to be key to that. Mm-hmm. We have the Real Vitalize program. We do. So we can financially help you push through that project and then just pay for it out of closing instead of pay for it out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, decluttering magic is the next one. Oh my goodness, that is quite the transformation. Again, we've changed cabinetry to a light cream, even though there's the dark countertops but taking things off of the counter finding a home for them right and that that's like the biggest thing i i I really do think that you know you got that linear surface if it's clean it's going to collect stuff and i know like for our house we come in through the kitchen and so the kitchen is our collect all of of everything Mm -hmm. so you know looking at that going okay we need to find better storage solutions as far as what do we do as we come in? Is there a better way to do this? Because in that way, the countertops aren't full of everything. Everything doesn't need to be out. You know, if we only use the toaster once a week or only in the morning, you know, I've always been big on putting the toaster away. You know, if we don't have toast every single day, let's put the toaster away. Have it in a spot where it's going to be convenient to take out, use it, put it, put it away. A good use of perhaps a corner cabinet is to have the appliance garage. Mm-hmm. You know, put the toaster in the appliance garage. The problem with your toaster is it's warm, it's hot, and so you got to wait for it to cool down before you handle it. You know, and if someone's just looking for their bagel and their coffee on the way out the door in the morning, you know, that's an extra step. It is. See, this next one is taking your uh, builder grade cabinets. Okay. And your builder grade kitchen and some easy things to do to upgrade it. Um, I just saw an article not related to this directly. Um, there are companies that will sell refacing and you can reface your cabinets yourself. Right. And it's not a wood product. It's a, a high pressure laminate. And they, they'll go through with you and help you measure each of the the cabinet pieces and your faces and fronts and sides, and you can refinish and reface your own cabinets. <clears throat> you can also get new doors from them with that high pressure laminate. And it seems to be really easy to work with. All right. Interesting. So back to the article here, taking the builder grade cabinetry with maybe, you know, really entry level sliders and hardware and things like that. Mm-hmm. But those are easy things that you could upgrade. The carcass of the cabinet could still be good. You might like the layout. So swap out the hardware, swap out the drawer slides. Mm-hmm. Paint is a good thing. And then light fix- fixtures as well. Um, another thing, of course, is open shelving. Take a look in a lot of kitchens and, you know, maybe on the side of your sink, you've just got a kind of standard wall cabinet, you know, double doors. But it's not really connected to the rest of the kitchen. It's just over the little peninsula. Maybe take down that cabinet altogether and put up open shelves, you know, floating shelves, something like that. So that'll modernize the space. Mm -hmm. And if you coordinate, you know, the color of the shelves that you paint with the rest of the painted cabinetry, what do you think? Not too bad. Sounds good. The, uh, of course, upgrading your appliances is another one. Uh, here we see uh, the article suggesting color pops and wood tones. 
You like those stools? We got the blue industrial stools. Right. And what's the rest of the kitchen look like? What's the color palette? It's all the creams and whites again. A little bit of uh, gray with the octagonal tile behind the backsplash area. Mm -hmm. So keeping pops of color really breaks up that, um, you know, monotone kitchen. This one, uh, a kitchen remodel, a century in the making, taking your old farmhouse kitchen. We happen to have a property with a little bit of a farmhouse kitchen that needs revitalizing. Mm-hmm. So what do they do with this one? They just painted it. Yeah. Painted a nice cold banker blue. A really dark, like a cobalt, a deep, deep royal blue. Mm-hmm. And then butcher black countertops. You know, what's more far- farmhouse than that? Right. Yeah, it looks really nice. So a lot of great ideas, you know, and if you are curious about what can you do to increase the appeal of your house, let us know. We can walk through. We can get you in touch with a stager. Yeah, exactly. So quick, how can people get a hold of you? They can give me a call or a text at 715-323-2577. Wonderful. Um, Are you doing any in public um, sort of activities in the area i know we've got something on april 2nd over in nakusa we've got the bunny run over in nakusa the bunny run starts at 10 a 10 30 in the morning over at riverside park so that's gonna be really fun uh we're gonna be having the chamber of commerce kind of talk about that in the next coming weeks so that way we can kind of talk all about bunny runs because again this is going to be our run year or the running season has started for us uh we don't run ourselves. I'm going to put that disclaimer out there every opportunity. We don't run, but we enjoy going to the running events. So we're going to be in Nakusa on the 2nd for some running. We are not running, but you could be. The, the sprint marathons? Yes. Right. The, 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 yep. April 2nd, the bunny run over in Nakusa. It's a 5K, isn't it? It's a 5K run or walk. So you could walk it. There will be... Um, awards given. So we're going to have some awards. There's going to be an award ceremony. And I believe uh, Miss Wisconsin Rapids is going to be handing out the awards. So we'll get all those details kind of confirmed up and uh, have Hannah come on over and chat about the bunny run. I'm excited for this whole springtime and summer. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. So don't forget, check out myrapids.com and mynacusa.com. And that's about it for this week. All right. You guys have a great Central Wisconsin day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 